Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for an amazing season one of Learn with Dr. Emily. I'm going to take a break for the holiday season to catch my breath and to spend some time reflecting on the best ways for us to learn together in 2024. My online courses for parents and teachers are really taking off, and I also have more demand for my speaking. That's in part thanks to you for spreading the word on this work I'm doing outside of the therapy playroom, so thank you. All right, today we're going to share an episode from an awesome parenting podcast called Motherhood Unstressed with Liz Carlisle. This conversation with author Jen Graneman on working with highly sensitive people and what superpowers they possess is fantastic. So I know you'll enjoy it. Okay, here's Liz. You're listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad you're here as always. And like always, I'm excited to share the work of my guests with you. This week, I'm speaking with author Jen Greneman. She, with Andre Solo, are out with a new book called Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. And I was so excited to dive into this topic. I actually haven't ever covered this on the show in all the years of the show, which I cannot believe, but there's some fascinating, fascinating research out on highly sensitive people and the fact that one in three uh people is highly sensitive, I think we must talk about it. We must expand our understanding and our awareness of this, if not for our own self-awareness. But if we have highly sensitive children, um, this episode is going to give you tools and tactics to, to, to seeing that as a superpower, not only for yourself if you're highly sensitive, but for your child. Jen talks about what it means to really be sensitive and what strengths sensitive people bring to the world. Um, so we're going to discuss what actually is a highly sensitive person and how are their brains different. And I also wanted to kind of contrast that to autism because I feel like that's something that we're all talking a lot more about as well. Um, but highly sensitive people are different than people with autism. So we get into that. And and again, why being highly sensitive is not a burden. It's nothing shameful. It can actually be a superpower. So I hope you learn a lot from this episode as always, like every week. Um, and if you enjoy this, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. Please enjoy this episode with Jen Graneman. Well, hello, Jen. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi, uh, I'm excited to be here. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, we're going to get into your new book that you wrote with uh, Andre Solo. It's called Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. But before we dive into all of that and the premise of the book, why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about you and how you found this work? Sure. Yeah. So I found this work... uh about a decade ago at this point when I learned that I am a highly sensitive person when I stumbled upon some research. And it really helped my own life make more sense. It helped explain some of the things that I'd struggled with and experienced. It explained why I wanted to retreat to my bedroom after just kind of a normal day at school or why working in an office and then later a classroom could be just very draining for me. And it was because my brain was taking in so much information all the time. So when I realized that I'm not broken, I'm not flawed, there's nothing wrong with me because of this trait, I wanted to share it with other people. I love that. And and what do you remember the moment where you found that first piece of research or you found an article and it resonated with you to to bring you out of kind of this feeling of like shame and guilt for ways that you had been your whole life and to a turning point where you were like, oh my gosh, like there's actually a name for this. I came across Dr. Elaine Aaron's book, The Highly Sensitive Person in my late 20s, far before I was a mother um, (laughs) and far before this current life path. But I remember taking her self-test and I checked literally every single box on the self-test. I mean, I am not just a sensitive person. I am a highly, highly, highly sensitive person. I love that. Um, and the reason I love that, I think, is because I am too. And so, you know, like I was saying before this interview, so many things when I was reading your book were resonating and it was making a lot of sense. So now before we get into the premise of the book and and the strengths that really exist for highly sensitive people, why it's a gift and not a curse, can you talk to the audience about what actually is a highly sensitive person? How are they different from the norm? Just so we have a greater understanding of, of what it is and, and what traits to look out for, for ourselves, but also for our children. Sure. Well, Everyone is sensitive to some degree, but about one in three of us are highly sensitive. So that means we fall on that far end of the spectrum. And what defines a highly sensitive person is their deep processing. So the sensitive brain is very sensitive to their environment. It takes in the world around them and thinks about it and turns it over and reflects on it to a greater degree than a less sensitive brain. So that might mean the lights overhead or the sounds outside or that conversation you're having with a friend. All of those things go into your mind and get processed very deeply and thought about very thoroughly. And for sensitive people, they might not even be consciously aware that they're doing this deep processing. You might think of yourself as an overthinker or anxious, but a lot of times that deep processing is happening without you even realizing it and without even realizing just how much of your world you are processing deeply. So this means that sensitive people can get overstimulated easily because all of that information goes into their mind and sometimes it's just too much. But it also means that sensitive people have superpowers. They are creative, empathetic, They are in tune with others. They read others well. And sensitivity is often linked to brilliance. 
Well, that's good to hear. I like that because I think for so much and so many of us, we don't want to be sensitive. We don't, especially, you know, if if you have a male child, he doesn't want to be called a wuss. You know, it's like the the most awful thing that can happen is if you're not like everyone else, especially when you're coming up through school. Is the is the sensitivity in your research, is it more inborn or is it a result from childhood trauma or just having to kind of fend for yourself early on? Where and why do you think certain people are more sensitive and how does that come about? How does that manifest? There's research that says that sensitive sensitivity is something that you're born with. So to some extent, you were just born this way. But our environment also shapes us. Research also shows that extreme environments can have a greater impact on a sensitive person. So maybe you had a particularly wonderful and enriching environment growing up. Well, you might develop in your sensitivity even more. But let's say you had an environment that was tough, difficult, there were hardships, maybe there was some abuse in your environment Well, you also might develop your sensitivity more because then it becomes a survival mechanism. Because if you can pay attention to every little thing in your environment and read your caregivers well, highly sensitive people tend to read others very well and be attuned to their emotional states. Well, that can help you survive in a very harsh environment. Interesting. And another interesting thing I found from the book was that You say that highly sensitive people often are drawn to narcissists. Can you talk a little bit about that or just more of like abusive type people who enjoy someone who can really read their moods and and please them and understand what they want? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't say that sensitive people are necessarily drawn to narcissists, but narcissists tend to be drawn to sensitive people. Um, You know, and honestly, I can speak to that from experience. But I think people who are narcissistic or even those who aren't exactly full-blown narcissists, maybe those who just tend to be takers instead of givers or someone who tends to be kind of toxic in some of the traits that they have or or kind of one-sided in their relationships. Those kind of people can be drawn to sensitive people because, well, you know, we're nice, right? (laughs) We're nice and we're giving and we're usually very empathetic and understanding. Uh, For me personally, dealing with a narcissist in my life, I always tended to see the reasons why he was doing what he was doing or I made you know, I, 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 I thought, oh, well, it's, it's because of his childhood or, you know, it's because this happened. So sensitive people tend to be very forgiving and we tend to be very understanding. And unfortunately, that can mean we end up in some lopsided or unhealthy relationships if we're not careful. To the woman listening who obviously recognizes that her child might be highly sensitive on that spectrum, what can she start doing to nurture that and to understand that it is a gift that, you know, creativity and sensitivity and empathy are good things to have in a child, but in a way that's going to prepare that that child for life in a very fast-paced, loud world? Right. Isn't that the question that we're all asking? Is yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there's not a perfect answer. Um, my son uh, just turned, turned two years old and 
He is showing signs already of being highly sensitive. And I think for boys, as you said earlier, being highly sensitive has some extra challenges to it. So I think the first step is to just be aware of sensitivity in your child and to purposely see it as a strength. I think it's easy for us to see the downsides of sensitivity, like the overstimulation or the tendency to have big reactions or to feel stressed out more easily. So sometimes we just have to make a conscious decision to see the strengths of sensitivity. And I named some of them as already creativity, empathy, reading others well, brilliance. There are so many more strengths of sensitive people. But I think as parents, we need to reframe some of those negative traits and remind ourselves of those good traits and make that choice to see it as a strength. I like that. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com slash tracker to get started. And how often are, do you think the diagnosis between being highly sensitive and being autistic are convoluted? Because it seems like there's a lot of similarities, but it's also their own separate things. Yeah, there are some similarities. When I was a fourth grade teacher, I had an autistic boy in my classroom and One thing that he could not stand was when the cafeteria was serving hot dogs. He just couldn't stand the smell. And so he couldn't even go into the class, go into the cafeteria on hot dog day. So sensitive people and autistic people, they do share that sensory discomfort, but that is really about all they share. Um, A sensitive person might also not want to go in the cafeteria on hot dog day, right? Because the smell bothers them. Uh, But the difference is that sensitive people tend to have that very deep and elaborate processing. There's, There's research that shows that there are differences between the brains of sensitive people and autistic people. Sensitive people tend to have a lot of empathy and read others very well and really thrive in, in social situations and read others well in terms of their emotions. So it it's hard. I mean, you, you can be sensitive and also be autistic at the same time. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's not always an easy line between the two. Um, I think 
the most important thing is for us to just be aware of these traits so that we can recognize themselves in our, our ourselves or our children. Yeah. Do you think the schools as a whole are doing a good job of recognizing this missing trait that that so many children have now, this sensitive trait, um, in a way that's being more inclusive and, and understanding? Do you think that, you know, when teachers are going through school, getting their education degrees, that they're talking about this? Because this seems like a major, major thing where you could really change a child's life just based on understanding their psychology a little bit better. No, it's not talked about. I can tell you from my own direct experience getting my teaching degree, it's not talked about. Now, some individual teachers are making an effort to talk about these things. I was one of them. I knew many of them. But overall, in our institutions, it's not something we're learning about. And I think if we were able to talk about these things, we would understand why some kids struggle in the way they struggle. I remember when I was teaching and it was wintertime and kids had to go get their snow gear on, right? Fourth graders uh, <laughs> getting their snow pants and their boots and their hats and mittens and oh my goodness, right? All of that stuff. It could just take um, a long time and it was a big hassle to get them all dressed, to get the, to get 30, you know, 10-year-olds dressed to go outside. And there were always a few kids that just did this process very slowly and deliberately. And there were other kids who raced through it because right lunch was right after uh, us getting dressed. So kids wanted to race through it and get to lunch as fast as they could. But there were those kids who were just very slow and deliberate about it. And um, I think sometimes other teachers saw this deliberateness as something that needed to be fixed. Obviously, right, we all need to learn how to get ready quickly sometimes. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. But I think overall, some of those traits of sensitive people like needing extra time to do things uh, need to be better recognized in schools. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I understand too, you know, when you've got a crowded classroom, you just want to get out the door and and it's an issue. But man, it just, you can see the long game too of it. You know, and we, we talk about sensitive people and artists really being kind of like the safeguards in society because they pick up on things and trends before anyone else. They see, you know, the, the devolution that happens or, you know, life improving and they, they can talk about it. So in so many ways, I just feel like, you know, as parents listening to the show, you know, you writing books like this, we need to nurture, you know, the highly sensitive people because I know you don't like to call them the, the canaries in the coal mines, but in a lot of ways they are. We need them in society to to ensure that we're we're doing the right things for the population. Absolutely. And of course, we need to co- teach our children those coping skills they need to get through the day. We all need those coping skills, right? I need them. Um, but we also need to recognize what you said, that they can be our healers and our artists and our visionaries and our problem solvers and our leaders and those traits that they have, though they they need to be celebrated instead of shamed or punished. Right, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about the coping strategies um, for every sensitive woman tuning into this and her children. What can we do as sensitive people to you know be stronger in the world today and thrive really in in a situation that's not exactly uh, amenable to sensitive people? Right. Well. Like I said, I I think the first step is just awareness to recognize this trait in yourself or your children, and then you'll be able to better navigate whatever situation comes by. If you're looking at it as a strength and an innate trait, 
not a problem, not something that needs to be fixed. Once you're seeing it as a strength, then you can teach children healthy coping skills. A lot of children struggle with emotional regulation if they're sensitive. They might have a tendency to internalize problems. That was certainly me, right? I didn't ask for help when I should have. I instead put the problem inside me and thought it was my fault when it wasn't. But some other sensitive kids, they might lash out if there's a problem. Um, it might just be my son's age as a toddler, <laughs> right? Do you that he, that he lashes out? But, um, you know, I, I know lashing out can be a thing that teenagers do as well when they're highly sensitive. And, and of course, all all kids do these things to some extent. So we need to teach sensitive children coping skills to to regulate their emotions well. And a lot of times that just means becoming more fluent in the language of emotions and helping children understand their feelings. And I would say another coping skill too is just being able to recognize overstimulation. It's no secret that our world can be a very loud, demanding place, as we say in the title of our book. So it's important to help kids notice when they're becoming overstimulated before they hit that crash and full-blown overstimulation. I think that's important for us to recognize as parents too, when we're reaching that overstimulation point, but we haven't quite crossed the threshold yet. So then we can do some things to help our bodies calm down. Yeah. I feel like that's such a muscle to work on too, because I can feel like I'm on top of my game, you know, when everything's going great and the kids are being great and like, I'm such a good mother right now. But it's (laughs) like when they do push you to that edge and you are feeling overstimulated and you cross that barrier and then you just lose it. And then you have Mm -hmm. like the ensuing guilt and everything afterwards. If you can do those coping mechanisms, if you can have your own, you know, self-regulation going on and get that stronger every time, I feel like, man, you're modeling that to your children who are most likely, you know, at least one of them just like you, you know, sensitive like that. And I'm just thinking back to my parents, I was like, wow, like they didn't have this language, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, they for sure, you know, they would have benefited from it. And so like, that's why I love having conversations like this with you, because it's like, it's giving people the right language and the words. And like you said, the reframing of it so that, wow, they're, they're not only changing their lives, but they're able to help their children who have no idea really what's going on. They just know that something, you know, they feel so strongly. Right. Yeah. Words can be so powerful. If I think, if I would have learned about the term highly sensitive person back when I was a kid or a teenager, oh, I I just think it would have made such a big difference because I always felt like such a weirdo, (laughs) to be completely honest. I felt like such a weirdo. And I know we all feel weird on some level, but, um, you know, you know, if I would have had a, a word for my, my deep thinking and my big reactions and my my need for downtime i think it would have i think it would have helped me so much absolutely absolutely so what is your hope for this book you know you write a book and you put it off into the world and then it kind of has a life of its own what do you hope this book does for for the world i hope that this book destigmatizes sensitivity i hope it shows sensitive people that they are strong and valuable and worthy. I hope it shows the world that sensitive people are valuable and strong and worthy. I want us to stop seeing sensitivity as a flaw. I want us to see it as a strength. 
I want our society to start making accommodations for sensitive people in our schools and our offices. And I want us to not just accept sensitivity, but praise it and celebrate it. Because when sensitive people receive support and when they can see what their strengths are, then they really begin to shine. There's research that shows that just a little support goes a long way for sensitive people. We just sort of soak up everything, right? We soak up the bad and we soak up the good to a greater extent. So by celebrating sensitive people and raising them up, then they're going to go far. Yeah. And lift all of us up, I would argue. Exactly. Um, Well, we can end just on that. But if there were any lasting message that you would want to leave with the audience about the book and what it contains, about your message, about um, Sensitive Refuge, you know, that site that you have, uh, what would that be? You're not too sensitive. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you because of your sensitivity. It's a superpower and a strength. So embrace it. I love it. I love it. And where can our listener find out more about you and get the book? You can get the book at any major retailer. You can um, pre-order it now and it will come out on February 28th. And you can find me pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, You can also find me on both of my websites, introvertdeer.com or sensitiverefuge.com. And they're all under your name, Jen Greneman, correct? Yes. Okay, yes, perfect. Correct. Perfect. If someone's driving, they're like, what? What? Where is it? <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Okay, thank, thank you so much, Jen, for, for writing this book, for putting this work out into the world. I think it's so incredibly important, especially now with AI and everything else and just the, the rapid pace of everything these days. Right. So, right. so needed. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. <laughs>